Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Let's pray together and, and then I'll get started here with this. But uh, Father, I, I just want to pray today and thank you again for letting us be here. I thank you for this church. And you know, Lord, it, it'd be easy just to go on status quo and just do the things like we've always done them and, and it would be all right. But Lord, we don't want status quo. Lord, my heart is hungry to see your presence move in this place. We're hungry to see your people uh, burn with a passion for you. We're hungry to see people get saved. We're hungry to see lives changed, to see people made holy and righteous. Hungry to see you move, see people healed, lives changed, people delivered. We believe that you are able to do that and want to do that, that that's why you came. You sent your son. What an extravagant gift that you sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. That is beyond our ability to understand why you would do that. But Lord, you did it. And we give you praise today for that, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this church. And I thank you for this city. And Lord, for all those who are a part of the leadership here, I pray for them right now today, Lord. As I have been away, I've watched. And Lord, I see all kinds of things going on. Lord, I pray for our city. We, we want to become a godly city, a city that is, uh, sits on a hill that is a light to the world of what you can do. Lord, I just lift up to you our nation, all the things that are going on. There's so many things happening. All the rain and all the pain that goes with that as farmers are struggling and wondering what to do. And as we look at this and our hearts are heavy, Lord, we just, we just lift it up to you. And we lift up to our leadership, Lord. Right now, there's just a, a, a bad, angry feeling in Washington. And Lord, we don't... We don't understand how we could hate ourselves enough to fight against ourselves. But Lord, I pray for our leaders, starting with our president and coming down, Lord, for all of them, for the leadership in Congress and in the Senate and all places, Lord, that you will move and that you will have your will and your way, that your Holy Spirit will take over, that we will wake up before it's too late and realize how great you are and that we will turn to you and trust you. I thank you, Lord, for your uh, for everything that you do. You are so good. And I just give you praise, Lord, because I know that in all things you're going to work to uh, work together for uh, the good of those who know you. And Lord, I just trust you for that right now. And I just place all my trust, all my hope in you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you know the needs in here right now. Whatever's going on in people's lives, Lord, meet those needs right now. We believe in you. We're trusting you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 1. We're in Philippians. We, uh, I love this, that we're doing a book study and through it. It's my favorite way to preach is through a whole book like that. I really enjoy that. That's, that's where I've always enjoyed and, and, and kind of thrived. And so we're doing that right now. And so uh, right now we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And, and Ian started this a couple weeks ago, and then you had the missionary last week. But uh, um, really looking forward uh, to, to bringing this uh, this series of sermons to you through the summer. And it starts off like this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that, came, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Well, one of the main themes of the letter of Philippians is joy. It just is. All throughout the book, Paul emphasizes the whole idea that, that it, uh, of joy. And I love that Paul says that he always prays with joy every time he thinks of the Christians at Philippi. Joy is such an important word and such an important concept, and it's so misunderstood by most of us. I think many people believe joy will come if they do the right things. If I do the right things, if I believe the right things, if I marry the right person, I'll have joy. If I get the right job, there will be joy. If I do certain things, that I'll get joy. And that's not joy, that's happiness. Okay? And I'm talking to everybody today, but I'm especially talking to you graduates. I want you to hear this today because I believe that if you start off in the right premise with the right understandings of this, this can change your life forever. Okay? But joy is not happiness, and happiness is not joy. There's a big difference in the two. I think people are spending their lives working to get God's love. We're out there all the time trying to do what's right. We want to try to do what's right. In the church, especially, we work to get God's love. That's, that's called legalism. But the church is filled with that kind of thing where if we're not careful, we're going around and we're, well, I got to do this and I'm going to not do that. And if I just work a little harder, God will love me a little more. And that's not true. Right now, I got to tell you something. God could not love you more than he loves you right now, nor will he ever love you less than he loves you right now. He loves you completely right now, and it's just the way it is, and you can't do anything about it. But people are spending their lives working to get God's love, which they already have. And a lot of people are seeking happiness. But here's the deal. Happiness is fragile. It's just so fragile. It totally depends on our circumstances. Happiness is all about your circumstances. And if your circumstances line up, then you're happy. If they don't happen to line up, then you're not happy. And what people really want, what you really need in our lives, what we really want is joy. The vast majority of people have no idea what joy really is, though. Unfortunately, I have to say that I think the vast majority of church people, Christians, really don't understand this whole concept of what joy is. Here's the deal. Joy comes when we realize that we are working from God's love in us and not for God's love. I want to talk about that for just a brief moment. Can you imagine right now if more joy came from pleasing God more and you just could keep working and he could just give you more joy. You know, I would understand that, but that's not what it means. We have all the love of God already. You can't earn God's love. You can't make God not love you. He loves you, period. It's just the way it is. You got to live in that. And so with that being true, with that being true, then we don't have to work for his love. We get to work out of his love. His love is in us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. And there's nothing I can do about that except accept that and then take that love and just pour his love out of me into others and that's when it gets joyful look at the scripture this morning in 
And, and let's try to get a handle on what Paul's writing to us here. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. See, Paul had an encounter with Jesus in which he experienced the love of God in his life. He found out that God loved him. You remember that story? He's on the road. He's on the road to Damascus. He's going to kill Christians. He's going to destroy Christians. That was what his plan was. So he goes out, and as he goes out to try to destroy Christians, God confronts him. Jesus meets him on the road and knocks him off of the donkey, and he's laying there, and he's blind except for all he can see is the light, and Jesus speaks to him, and he has that encounter with Jesus, and guess what? Nothing's ever the same again. He encountered the love of God in such a powerful way. He's a person who is filled with the presence of God. He's filled up with the Holy Spirit and with God's love, and so he's working out of love. Paul is working out of the love of God, not for God's love. Therefore, he can love and pray with the Philippians and for the Philippians with joy because he's experiencing God's goodness and love, even right there in a Roman prison. Our capacity for joy is expanded as we realize who we are in Christ, that we're his children, that we're his favorite. Did you know that you're God's favorite right now? Because it doesn't look like you know that you're God's favorite. You know, I, I know people who think they're their parents' favorite, you know? I, I get together with uh, Louise's daughters, and they like to tell me which one of them is Louise's favorite. They know Jeff is. <laughs> they just have to live with that, but they try to act like they are. But I, I, I've been around people who know that they belong. They, they're, they're the favorite of someone. I, I've watched in weddings when young ladies come down, and their daddy their daddy's girl, and there's a joy in them that is different than any other time. They're, they're the favorite. You know, you're God's favorite. You're not just one of his children. I, I had this Amish neighbor that lived next to me when I lived in Bern. He had 18 children. I've told you a little bit about him before. You know, they were all with one wife, too. I mean, he just had 18 kids. They were like, just all of his kids. And he had 54 grandchildren at the time and more on the way. And I asked him, I said, do you know all your grandchildren? He said, when I see them, I'm pretty sure I can tell you that one's mine, but I'm not sure what their names are. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not like that with God. He doesn't look at me and say, you know, I know he's one of mine, but I can't remember which where he came from and whose he is, you know. He knows me. I'm his favorite. You know, he loves me more than you. And he loves you more than me. And, and we're just his favorite all the time. We need to know that. We need to understand who we are in Christ and whose we are. And that joy is not caused or expanded by what or where we are and by what we have. It doesn't matter whether I'm rich or poor. It doesn't really matter whether this church is full or empty. It doesn't matter whether or not I have uh, thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, or no dollars. It doesn't matter any of those things. God looks at me and says, he's mine, and I love him. It doesn't matter if I mess up and I'm having a bad day. It doesn't matter if I'm having a good day. It doesn't matter if you like me or not. That's freedom right there, man. I love that. It doesn't matter at all. God loves me. And that's what I'm living out of. That's who I am. And that joy is mine. And that's true for Paul as he writes this amazingly joyful letter to the church. His circumstances are less than ideal. Paul is sitting in a cold, stinking, harsh Roman prison. You know, how many of you here would say, hey, I'd love to go to prison for a while? 
Anybody here? Uh, good. I'm glad to see that. Uh, you know, our prison system is pretty good. Uh, most of the time, our prisoners have quite a few rights, and they're well taken care of. Uh, and we, we know that. I mean, it's, it's not easy, but it's not bad. Paul's in a Roman prison. And, and I had a friend who went to Rome and saw where they kept Paul in Rome. And, and, you know, he said that the building was hardly big enough to stand up in. It, it's just stinky. It's just horrible. It's cold. It's dirty. It's, it's just a bad place. And that's where Paul's at. And he's caught up in a corrupt legal system. You know, in our legal system, most of the time it works pretty good. But Paul, he's caught in a legal system that's not working. You know, Paul never really did anything wrong. He doesn't, com- you know, this isn't because he committed murder. This isn't because he stole somebody's stuff. This isn't because he was using drugs and got caught. Paul's in prison because he preached the gospel. Because he was a believer. And, you know, it had nothing to do with Rome. And Rome got caught up in it because Paul just said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. So they got involved. And next thing you know, he's being passed through the legal system. Nobody knew what to do with him. So they just left him in jail. And so he sits in this jail rotting in this prison. And he's powerless and he's stuck. And he has every right to be frustrated and angry and to begin to complain. But instead, Paul writes to the church, I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy. There is something or someone who is causing Paul to remain up and happy and content and joyful. And that someone is the presence of Holy Spirit in his life. Paul's relationship with Jesus is what's the difference maker here. This is what's changing him. It's his relationship, where he's at in that. It's been raining in Indiana now since November. Anybody here notice that? You know, I have grass right now, this tall in places. And now it's laying down because it rained on it again last night. You know, yesterday I'm sitting out there in the front room looking out the window and the animals have got to think of our yard now as part of the woods and the, and the forest. And I looked and there's two little baby raccoons walking across the grass, you know. I mean, they're moving back in because we can't mow the yard. It's just too wet. It's muddy. It's, it's nasty out there. And that's no big deal because I'm not a farmer. But the farmers, I mean, goodness, I, I'm praying for them because it's, it's just tough. What are they going to do? And it's easy to get fed up. I find myself easily grumbling and complaining that there seems to be no end to crummy weather. And it's affecting me and it can affect me in all parts of my life. And if I'm not careful, I'll find myself grumbling and complaining because the rain's affecting my comfort. I can't go out and ride my motorcycle, you know, because after all, that's what I'm supposed to be able to do. I live here. I bought it so I could ride it in the heat in Indiana. But circumstances, they tend to cause us to grumble and complain and to, to have a problem. You know, the Israelites were slaves for 430 years in Egypt. I was reading in the book of the Exodus this week, and as I read, I came across this, and it said they were slaves for 430 years, and then God, to the day, set them out, took them out. And he led them out of, out of Egypt. He led them out into the desert through with Moses. They're four days in the desert. Four days out in the desert. They've been through incredible things. They've seen God move in miraculous ways. You think, oh man, there's no way. There's no way they're not going to just be celebrating four days out into the desert. And four days out into the desert, they go to Moses and they complain and they start grumbling because there's no water. And here's what they said. They said it would have been better to die in Egypt as slaves. 
four days. And they were grumbling and complaining. They were letting their circumstances and not their relationship to God and His goodness dictate their feelings. Yet Paul, who wakes up every day in chains in a stinking prison, eating bad food, cold, hurt, alone, is joyful. And the question is why? And it's this, because Paul has a secret. And I want to give you that secret today. Graduates, listen up. Paul has learned that God is good. I'm going to talk about that. Paul understands and he trusts in the goodness of God. I don't think many of us really believe that God is good. You say, oh, come on. I don't. Because if we believed that God is good, we would not live like we do. We would not walk around like somebody's after us and like somebody's hurt us and like we have to struggle and wrestle with things. We would know that God is good all the time. If God is good all the time, he's got our back. He's got us and he's going to take care of us and we don't need to worry about it. That he will handle every circumstance and every situation. And Paul believes that God is good all the time and he's drilling deep down into the goodness of God. He's not just leaving that on the surface, but he's going down into it and trying to understand it. I want you to understand the goodness of God. The goodness of God is so great that he bankrupted heaven, that he said, okay, let's take all the riches of heaven and let's put it in Jesus and let's send him to earth and we'll let him be crucified and let him die. And then we'll bring him back to life. All for those people that we love so much. God is so good. And Paul's living out what he believes about the truth of the goodness of God and what God says and believes about him. You know, we'll have joy in our lives in equal measure to how much we know the goodness of God and are pursuing and living in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what I believe. I believe that with all my heart. Let me read that for you one more time. That's a tweetable quote because I tweeted it already this morning. We will have joy in our lives in equal measure to how much we know the goodness of God and are pursuing and living in the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you know the goodness of God, and if you're pursuing after the Holy Spirit, then you're going to know joy in your life. You're always going to have joy in your life. If, if you really believe in the goodness of God, if, if the goodness of God just really sits in your heart, if it really means something to you, if you've really come to understand the goodness of God, not, not just that God saved you, and, and not that, that, that God is good all the time thing that we do where we don't really know what we're talking about because we don't pay attention to it, but, but I mean where you've really sat down and drilled down deep into understanding what the goodness of God is. When you begin to really see the goodness of God, Begin to understand the goodness of God. And when you begin to pursue the Holy Spirit with all your heart, and when you're living in the presence all the time, when, when it's not like I'm in the presence of the Holy Spirit when I'm at church, but when I leave here, He stays there. But when you take Him with you, and when He goes with you to school, and when He goes with you to work, and when He goes with you at home, and when He's with you when you're having a struggle with your spouse, or when you're having a, a, a problem at work or whatever, that's when you know the goodness of God. That's when joy starts to come into your life. See, joy has nothing to do with what you have or don't have. That's happiness. You can recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person by their joy or the lack of it. That's why it bothers me a lot, because I don't see a lot of joy on Christians' faces. I see a lot of Christians walking around complaining and grumbling and griping about how these things aren't working out and how they don't have what they want and how this happened and that happened. And I'm, you know, I don't see a lot of even smiles on Christians' faces. We walk around like glummy, like grumpy faced all the time. I go over to the children's department and I see the children and they got smiles. 
Bible, you know, I, I read somewhere the other day that, that children laugh something like 40 times a day. Adults laugh four times a day. It might be time to laugh a little more. It might be time for the church to quit being so stuck about being proper. It might be time for us to just realize that it's okay to be happy Christians and to be joyful Christians again. I don't know when we decided that it was just a horrible thing to be happy. I love it when we laugh in church. I love it when people are excited and, and, and they're enjoying church. I enjoy that. I think it's what we're supposed to be. I, the psalmist said, in his presence is the fullness, and God's presence is the fullness of joy. It's when you're in the presence of God you have joy. You know, joy doesn't come when you get a new car. Joy comes when you're in the presence of God all the time. You're not living in the presence of God, you're not going to know joy. You might have a happy moment. You might have a good thing. See the grandkids. I, I, I went to Ellie's house this week. Ellie's my little two-and-a-half-year-old, almost three-year-old granddaughter that hadn't seen her now for about a month and been away, and she woke up from her nap, and I'm sitting on the couch, and she comes running out, and she jumps in my lap, and she wraps her arms around me. I'm telling you what, it was a joyful moment. But it wasn't too long until she was doing, you know, two-year-old stuff again. And those aren't so joyful. But the presence of the Holy Spirit is still there, and so joy remains. We can recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person by their joy or their lack of it. I propose that you will recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit and the holiness of a person by how much joy they have rather than by what they don't do. See, we Nazarenes, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I got a bone to pick with the Nazarene church. Wesleyan's probably the same way. I don't know. I'm not a Wesleyan. But we're both exactly alike, so I'd assume so. But here's the deal. I got a bone to pick with the Nazarene church because the Nazarene church has defined holiness for way too long by what we don't do. And that's just silliness. That's just wrong. For far too long, we've been trying to measure a person's holiness and their relationship to God by the fact that they don't do certain things. If you don't do certain things, that means you're holy. But the reality is, is I can quit doing certain things for a while without any problem. I can quit smoking for a while. I can tell you that I'm not looking at pornography. I can tell you that I'm not getting drunk. I can do all those things and tell you that I'm holy. holy. I can fake that kind of holiness for a while. I really can. It's not hard. I see people do it all the time. But I can't fake joy. You just can't fake joy. When I get in the middle of tough times, when I'm living in the goodness of God and close to the Holy Spirit, I have joy and nothing will take it away. If I'm living close to the Holy Spirit and life begins to shake, joy shakes out of it. If I'm not living close to God and life begins to shake, griping, complaining, anger, frustration shakes out of it. When I get in the middle of tough times, that's when I know I'm living in the goodness of God and close to the Spirit. I have joy. If I'm faking joy, tough times, I'll start to grumble. Paul was filled to the top by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he could have joy even in prison. Amen. Good preaching, Mark. All right. <laughs> we need to stop measuring the holiness of people by what they don't do and start recognizing that when we are truly in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the result is going to be joy, uncontainable joy, joy that just runs all over things. So today I want to speak to you who are graduating and to everyone else, and I have four things that I want to give you, four truths that I believe that I think that can help you to live in a joyful 
uh, a joyful life. Number one is this, remember these. Joy is not caused by your circumstances. That's number one. Joy is not caused by your circumstances. You're going to run into some difficult things in your life. If you don't think so, well, that's up to you. You can believe a fairy tale if you want to. But there are difficult days ahead for all of us in certain areas. You know, if you're a student, you're going to go to college, you're going to run into tests. Let me tell you something. I don't care where you go to school at, you're going to run into unfair professors. And you're going to run into money problems. And you're going to meet people and have relationship issues. And you're going to need a job someday. And they're not always the easiest thing to find. And someday when you're out there all alone by yourself, your car's going to break down. And then you're going to buy a house and the roof's going to leak. And you're going to get married and have kids. And the kids are going to get sick. And your spouse, well, that's a whole other story we won't talk about. And if that's not bad enough, politics is going to enter into your life. And you're going to sit there and shake your head and mutter. Whether you're a Republican or Democrat, it don't matter. It's a mutter time most of the time. But you can have joy in spite of those difficult circumstances if you are deep into the goodness of God. If you really believe that God is good, then it doesn't matter if that car's broke down, the kids are sick. And whoever is president. In fact, if you're living daily, in fact, moment by moment in the presence of the Holy Spirit, then you have joy. You can believe and have joy. See, and second thing is this then. Joy is a choice I get to make. I get to make the choice to have joy. I didn't always believe that. I used to let circumstances really dictate how I felt. I used to walk around and grumble. I'm a big-time grumbler from way back. I've grumbled a lot more than I've prayed in my life. God's listened to some of them and answered them, whether I wanted him to or not. But I've realized that's not right. That's not what a Christian is supposed to be. And I don't have to live like that. I can choose to live a life of joy or I can choose to gripe and grumble and complain. I can choose to trust in the goodness of God and be sure that what I choose will affect everything going on around me. You know, a lot of things that people want to say, well, it's not my fault and they have to act like that and whatever. You know what? A lot of it's because of what you're doing. What you do affects everyone around you. If I choose to indulge myself and live and gripe and complain, it will affect my situation and all those around me. I have a question for you here. How many of you like being around a person who gripes, grumbles, and complains all the time? Raise both hands. You do? Wow. You got one. Anybody want to marry somebody? That wants to, you know, she's a perfect woman for some of you gripe, grumbling, and complaining people right here, you know? So, you know, people do that. And and most people don't like being around people who complain that life isn't fair all the time. Most people want to be around someone who's joyful, sweet, happy, and content. That lifts the load. That lifts the level. I'm going to tell you something right now. If in our church we begin to be a church filled with joy, if people in our church begin to exhibit joy, when people walked in here for the first time and they go, that is such a joyful church, you won't be able to get a chair in here. It will be packed. We'll have to have five services because I'm telling you what, people are hungry for someplace filled with joy. They're tired of turning on CNN and Fox News and hearing people grumble and complain. Trust me, 
The third one's this. Joy or lack of joy reveals clearly what you believe to be true about any given situation. See, it really doesn't matter what's going on around us right now. As I said earlier, you can have joy. See, joy is an expression that comes directly from your belief in God. We've been talking about that. Therefore, I believe it's only possible for Christians to have real joy. I don't think anybody else in the world, other than Christians, really can have true joy in situations. I don't believe it. It's a benefit of being in the presence of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is present in us, joy is coming out of us. It's just the way it is. Things will never bring you joy. They might make you happy for a period of time, but they will never bring you joy. You know, new cars, I love a new car. Every once in a while, it's kind of nice to get a new car, but they get scratched. You ever notice that? You buy a new car, I bought that old Cadillac off Dave Harding. You know, that's a great car. I'm so proud, man. I got me a 2008 Cadillac. It is, it, it was beautiful. And Darcy and I got it, we drove over to Chick-fil-A. Because, you know, we're Christians and we eat Chick-fil-A. <laughs> So we go into Chick-fil-A, and I parked over there, and I come out, and I go, somebody put a dent in the side of my Cadillac. It's not as nice as it used to be. Kind of makes my heart sad. New cars get scratched. New houses? I tell you what, some of you have been in this building since the day it began. No, but on the day, the first Sunday, the very first Sunday this building was open, the roof leaked. That's just maddening. Roof leaks, new relationships, they're great for a short time, and then you realize who that person really is. And vacations were awesome, as I can tell you right now, and you should take five week ones. That's the way to do it. But then you still have to come home, and the yard isn't mowed, and things See, if you believe things will bring you joy, you'll work hard for things. And if you believe a relationship is going to bring you joy, you'll seek to have a relationship. And if you believe that money will bring you joy, you'll work your tail off for money. But the reality is, is all that it's working for is love and acceptance. You're trying to get everybody to like you. You're trying to get everybody to think you're cool. You're trying to get everybody to think that you're, you're on, on track. The truth is, the only thing that can bring us real joy is the presence of God and His Holy Spirit. And if you believe that, and if you believe in the goodness of God, you will seek God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He'll be your focus of life. I'm going to ask you something right now. Is he the focus of your life? I mean, seriously, I know you've got to go to work, and I get that. I, I really do. You've got, to, you've got to take care of your kids, but, but are you doing it by yourself, or are you taking the Holy Spirit with you? Because if the Holy Spirit's not going with you to work, and if he's not in the middle of your family time, if you're not spending some time talking about Jesus and thinking about Jesus, you're not going to have joy fact is, and why this bothers me so much, is that we can go to church and we rarely see joy on the faces of believers. I want to do a spiritual checkup right now. Ask yourself this, do I have joy in my life? And I want you to be seriously honest with yourself because I, I don't want you saying, well, yeah, uh -uh. Don't, don't excuse yourself. You know what? Right now, if there's no joy in your life, you need to admit it to yourself. You don't have to tell me, but you need to admit it to yourself. I don't have joy. Do you have joy in your life? Let me ask you another way. Are you seeking to find your peace and your satisfaction and your happiness in other things and in other people? Are you waiting on them to make you happy? To give you what you want? See, I realize that if I'm seeking and pursuing anything other than the presence of God, then I'm not trusting in the goodness of God to satisfy my life. 
And as I said earlier, joy is a choice I get to make. And that's true if I'm filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Here's the deal. When you're saved, theologically and biblically, we believe that when you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit into your life. When you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. So if the Holy Spirit came to live in you then, you should be filled with joy. And right now, if you're walking around here going, no, I'm just never happy and life's just not good and I don't know why I have to, then maybe you need to ask, am I really filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I really know Him? I'm not trying to be mean here, I'm just trying to be real. So I can choose to allow the Holy Spirit to be in charge and allow joy to fill my life or I can choose to quench the Holy Spirit. Because if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm not experiencing joy, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm not exuding joy all over the place, then I must be quenching the Holy Spirit and I'm living in the world and I'm being grumpy and I'm being angry because I'm not getting everything I want when I want it. And are you doing that? Are you quenching the Holy Spirit of God right now? See, the reality is, is that this lack of joy is a result of living with my heart and my eyes fixed on the things of the world rather than loving and accepting the love of Jesus. What are your eyes fixed on? Is it having that next thing? Is it getting that bigger house, that better car, that membership at the club? Is the Holy Spirit just in your life kind of in the back pocket in case? We get into a bad situation where we really need him. See, that's what I see a lot of times in churches and Christians is that sometimes we, we've got God kind of in the back pocket and we bring him out when we need him, like when someone dies or when someone's sick. But the rest of the time, we're just out doing our thing and, and God's just kind of on the back burner. We're not really living in the goodness of God. See, this lifestyle of pursuing things leads us to striving and that leads to frustration and anger and bitterness when we don't get what we want that's what i see a lot of people doing that's what i've done testifying right now that's why i needed to take that break i need to stop that i was kind of in that mode truth is is that your joy or your lack of joy is a clear indicator of what you truly believe to be true let me ask you a question here this is this is an easy one who are the only people in the bible that jesus has conflicts or struggles with do you remember who was it? Somebody say it. Pharisees, Sadducees, yeah, the, the religious people of the day. Yeah, yeah. They represent the church. They're the religious, they're the religious people. They're the people that should have been the most joyful. They're supposed to know God. There's no, they're supposed to know the goodness of God, just like us. Jesus is in the middle of preaching sermons in and, and one place, and he's up there, and he's teaching away, and all these kids come up to him. Jesus doesn't get ticked off. He doesn't stand up and say, get those kids out of here. What in the world? I'm trying to preach here. The Bible says he welcomed them. He loved them. He was excited for them. He was glad they came. He blesses them. And then there's another time he's walking along. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's trying to do his agenda and teach and do all the things. And in the middle of it, guys with leprosy start yelling at him. Hey, son of David, King David, come here. I need your help. And Jesus doesn't ignore them. He doesn't just wave them off. Oh, I don't have time for that nonsense. He goes over to them and he lays hands on them and he touches them and he heals them. The blind the same way. People with issues of bleeding. These are the unclean, undesirable people of the day. They come to Jesus and he doesn't ignore them. He loves them. And I don't think Jesus did all this ministry and healing to help out these angry people with a grumpy face. I don't think he was walking around going, oh, I'll tell you, these people keep bothering me. 
one of these days they're going to quit bothering me because I'm going to just go hide and they're never going to hear from me. That's not how Jesus was. We laugh about that. We know better than that. But that's how we are. Well, I'm not going to let those guys get to me anymore. I'm done with them. Anybody here testify to that one? See, I think Jesus was joyful. He was doing what the Father sent him to do. He was in touch and deep into the goodness of God. And so he laughed with the kids. I think when Jesus blessed him, he didn't just say, bless you, child. I think Jesus was laughing. He probably had a pocket full of candy. I don't know what he was doing. But he, was having fun. he could have had candy. He could have had Hershey bars clear back then because he was Jesus. And he could do whatever he wanted to do. He didn't have any peanuts because he knew about peanut allergies. But he had all the rest of the stuff. He celebrated with them. He celebrated with people like the woman who was healed when she touched the hem of his garment. You know, he didn't get angry at her. Why did you touch me? He, he asked her who touched him. And then he celebrated. The reason he wanted her to, to stand up and say, I did it, because he wanted to celebrate too. Woohoo! You're healed. You don't have to deal with this anymore. You're done with that. Go in peace. He ate dinner and he drank wine. Yeah, come on now. He drank wine with the sinners. He loved going out to eat. Anybody here like to go out to eat? Jesus would be your friend. He would go with you, but, he have to, but you have to buy. This is the way it is. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but hey, I'm with him. I'm like Jesus, you know? Anybody needs somebody to go to dinner with them? Let me know. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> Long dinners. Ones where you get to lay down and eat. I like that. Well, why don't we do that anymore? I mean, that, that would be cool. He celebrated when the woman washed his feet with her tears and poured perfume over him. That's one of my favorites. I, I just, I'm just amazed. This woman, she humbled herself and did that. And Jesus, he didn't go, oh, this woman, get her out of here. You know, he, he, just, he just loved her. He celebrated with her. The people loved Jesus. Do you notice that? It doesn't say the people hated Jesus. They loved him. They flocked to him. They were excited. The only people who hated Jesus were the grumpy religious people. The only time Jesus was grumpy was with the grumpy religious people. He got frustrated with Pharisees. So a question here, why did the religious people make Jesus grumpy? And the answer is simply this, because they were religious. Because they were trying to follow a system to make themselves holy. It's time to quit following a system to try to make ourselves holy. That won't work, folks. They were manipulating the system to control other people. They were control freaks. It's time for the church to quit being a bunch of control freaks. They were not pursuing the goodness of God. It's time to pursue the goodness of God. They were not pursuing the Holy Spirit. It's time to pursue the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to set them free, and he came to set us free. Free of sin, free of death, free of religion that makes us grumpy. He came to set us free to pursue God. He came to set us free to pursue the goodness of God with all of our hearts. And he knew that religion just ties you back down again. It stops you from being who he wants you to be. Satan loves to take religious people. He loves to take religion and make you feel guilty and remind you of the stuff in your past. That's why those people from Kansas, that church out there, that, that sends people around to tell them that God 
He's the one that killed you. He's the one that sent those people to shoot. That's what they're doing. They're religious people. They're filled with religion, and they want to manipulate, and they want to use God to try to, to or they use, it's Satan trying to use these people to remind you of, what you of who you are and of your past and say that God doesn't love you. I can tell you something. God loves you. Did I say that at the beginning? God loves you. You're, you're his favorite. The goodness of God is that he loves you and set you free from all that. And he's told you so. And he said to you, now, go out and love some other people. Just love them, love them, love them. Love me by loving them. He never said control others. Nowhere did he say that. I can't find that in the Bible where it says, go out and control some folks and make them do what, I, uh, do what you do and, and act like you act. I think Jesus is really telling us that grumpy Christians are unacceptable to God. And certainly not approved by people. Last thing, real quick. God has placed you on the anoint, has placed on you the anointing of gladness and joy. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captive for the captives, release from the darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And that could be translated the the, the oil of, of, uh, of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord in this, for the display of his splendor. And Jesus said that about himself at one point. The Messiah, Jesus was sent to do this. He's accomplished this and it's in our lives that he has accomplished this. This is for us today. This is who we are. This describes who we're supposed to be. This is the day, the age that we live. We don't live back there, but that has moved forward. That is upon us. We have been anointed for joy. Our heritage and our destiny is to wear a crown of beauty. You know, some of you wear it better than others. Beauty, I mean but you're all very beautiful people. I love God's people. When you get around God's people, there's a difference in there. It's that crown of beauty that he's put on us. It's called joy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 says, by the, and it was, by the way, written by Paul, the same guy in a prison, be joyful always. Be joyful always. Live in joy. Living joyful lives is the will of God for all of us. Now, I can hear some of you saying this. Easy for you to say, Pastor. You don't know what I've been through. It's true. You don't know my mom. Maybe I'm glad. <laughs> don't know my dad. Nope. You don't know what goes on at my work. You're right. I don't. Invite me over. I'll sit and look. Well, I'll go through it with you, but, but I don't know. You don't know my personality. I love that when people tell me that. I don't, but I do know why you have that personality. You don't know my wife. Got a point there. Or my husband. Paul that wrote this was involved in the murder of several other Christians before he was saved. He was legalistic to the bone religiously. He was a Pharisee. He was rich, and now he's become poor. He was powerful, and now he's powerless. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was attacked by wild animals. He was laughed at. He was scorned. And yet, in spite of all of this, and much more, he sits in a stinking Roman prison and writes these words, whenever I think of you, I pray with joy. 
And he can do that because he believes totally in the goodness of God and is living continuously in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's not some theory that Paul is proposing. I love it because, you know, so much of what we talk about is theory. But Paul is not talking about some theory. He's not writing some abstract theology book. Paul is just telling you how life works for an old guy sitting in a Roman prison who wakes up every day in chains and eats bad food and plays with rats and is filthy and alone with almost no outside contact. And in the middle of all of that, he finds joy. And he lives in joy. And he wakes up without a grumpy face. And no, it's not fair. It's just Paul living out John 15, staying connected to the vine, staying connected to the goodness of God, saying the goodness of God, the goodness of God, get me deeper into the goodness of God. So let me ask you a question. Are you seeking to live continually in the presence of the Holy Spirit today? You can't fake it. Your grumpy face will give it away. You got a grumpy face, I'm going to ask you a question. Why are you so grumpy? Don't you know the goodness of God? Don't you know that He loves you? Don't you know that every situation you face, He's already taken care of? Nothing is coming your way that hasn't already been dealt with by Him. And you get to choose. Father, right now, that's what we understand, that's what we pray. That your joy will become a part of our church in such a way that people will say, you know that church out there? The one with the pond, that is the most joyful bunch of people I have ever met. And we'll be joyful not because all the circumstances are lined up and because everything works, but we'll be joyful because, Lord, we have met you and know the goodness of God and we are just pursuing your Holy Spirit with everything in us. And right now, Lord, if there's someone here who would have to say, you know, he spoke to my heart today. I need to pray about that. I need to deal with it, Lord, that they would do that today before they leave here. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. You're a good God. We love you. We praise you. And we worship you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The altars are always open. Nothing particular that uh, I'm begging you to come forward for. It's not the way I do it, but they're open. If you need to pray, we would certainly invite you to come and to pray pursue the Holy Spirit, get to know God, seek His joy, live in the joy that God has for you. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just overwhelm us with your goodness and your grace, and that we will just be so aware of you, and that you'll be so aware of you that we can't help but smile. Lord, put smiles on the faces of people in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.